Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Today's episode has been sponsored by Wine, Women, and Words, the podcast. Wine, Women, and Words is a casual show where book lovers can pour themselves a glass of wine, kick back, and talk books, pour a glass, and join them. It was launched in June 2016, and it's hosted by Diana, who lives in L.A., and Michelle, who lives in Chicago, and they welcome special guests from the literary world, from authors and editors to public speakers and everybody in between. They also select a book, which they read and discuss throughout the month. At the end of the month, their spotlight author joins the show for a special hour-long interview to talk about the author's characters, plot twists, writing process, and more. Oh my gosh, I have to like go listen to this podcast all the time. Anyway, thank you to Wine, Woman, and Words for sponsoring this podcast. I loved talking to Lovey. I have to say that. Love, Lovey. I love talking to Lovey Ajayi Jones, who wrote Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual. Lovey Ajayi Jones is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and podcast host who thrives at the intersection of comedy, media, and justice. Her debut book, I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual, was released to critical acclaim, hitting the New York Times bestselling list at number five. Her new book, Professional Troublemaker, is just coming out now. She is an internationally recognized speaker who takes on dozens of stages every year around the globe and has spoken at some of the world's most innovative companies and conferences, including Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Twitter. She is also co-creator of the hashtag ShareTheMicNow global movement and hosts her podcast, Professional Troublemaker. Welcome, Lovey. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for having me, Zibby. I am really excited about Professional Troublemaker and I got so much good advice. This is the fear, the fear fighter manual is clearly what I needed right now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's the book that I needed. So I, that I still always need. So tell me a little bit about that. What made you write this as sort of a follow-up to your last book? Tell me about this book. I was inspired to write this book because as I was thinking about, you know, how my follow-up to book, book one would be, one of the big things that I started realizing that I reflect in my TED talk is about how my journey is a series of moments where I chose to not be moved by the fear that I felt. You know, I have found what happens and I've seen what happens in my life when I choose courage, when I choose to acknowledge the moments where I'm afraid and I say, you know what, I'm going to move forward anyway. And that thing, like sat on my shoulders. Like I felt so convicted and compelled to write about this because it is a real problem that we all deal with fear and fear, I think has been given a lot of credit because we tend to think if we are afraid, we're somehow weak, right? We, we hear people talk about fearlessness and I think fearlessness really means committing to not doing less because of your fear. So instead of letting fear have the power about us thinking just because we feel it, we're weak, I'm like, no, 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 we're supposed to be afraid. What happens and what matters is what we do when we are afraid. So I realized that I, have, I was being called to write a book about why I'm a professional troublemaker and why I fight fear. And I think the professional troublemaker of it all is that to make trouble in this world, 
is to disrupt the status quo, to disrupt rooms for the greater good. It's not about you being a contrarian or a troll, but it's about really understanding that in this world that is asking us all to bow, when we don't, we're making trouble. So why not actually reclaim that phrase and say, yes, I am a troublemaker. I am a professional troublemaker because I insist on doing what is hard, especially when it's hard as long as it is for my good or the good of everybody around me. So yeah, that's why this book is so important, why I wanted to write it right now. Well, one of the things that you talked about in the TED Talk and then you went into more in the book with naming the company. So I don't know if you wanted to do name it in the book, but not in the TED Talk, but you went to a conference and you realized that the white men who were speaking at the conference got paid for travel and for their speech, that the white women got paid for their speech, but not the travel, and that the Black women got pay- had to pay to be there. Did I get that yes. right? Which yes. is crazy. So, yep. And then you decided, instead of keeping this inside, that you were going to talk about it, and you had fear per your whole thing about speaking up when you're afraid, and you decided to come out and talk about it. So tell me about that moment and then the aftermath. Yeah, I actually didn't end up going to the conference because they came to me to speak, and when I found out from you know, fellow members of this cohort that I'm a part of called The List, that there was this weird pay gap that was happening. I turned it down and I decided to talk about it publicly on Twitter and talked about how, you know, being a Black woman who is credentialed, who has the experience, even I still have to prove my worth over and over again. And I I didn't even mention the conference publicly at first. And then people figured it out. And the conference organizer himself like actually reached out because my tweets and my information and what I really was talking about in terms of the inequality and pay gaps, especially in tech, ended up being written about at Forbes. And he sent, the CEO of the conference sent the Forbes writer and me this email that was full of dog whistle that was basically like, oh, maybe I can command my fee was a more urban demographic. And I was like, wait a minute, you guys came to me. But it was a real moment where I had to be who I said I was out loud, right? You know, being afraid is real because we're usually afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of how we're going to get punished if we decide to do or say something that's tough or that challenges something that is bigger than us, right? And I had to think to myself, like, I understand my fear. My fear is valid. You know, I could actually face financial consequences if other conferences see me speak up about this and say, you know what, we don't want to have Lovey come. But then I had to say, wait a minute, but if not you, who has 10 years of speaking experience, who has been on some amazing stages, who commands a five-figure feat? Who else are you expecting to now challenge this thing? Are you expecting the person who just started last week? So I had to kind of remember that my job in this world is not just to be comfortable and coast through it. If I am a professional troublemaker, I especially have to be one even when there are stakes on the line. In fact, here's the thing about courage. You cannot have courage without fear. You cannot be brave If the thing is easy, that's not brave. That's just what you do. Hmm. But in that moment, we have to also choose what is the best case scenario, right? It's the idea of if I do this thing, what is the win? What could come out of this? And for me, the best case scenario was that conferences like this who have power, who make a lot of money, change their policies to make sure that they're not paying people for the same thing, different amounts, if they have the same experience. And my win was that we could start a conversation about 
how this, how prevalent this is. My win was that other people see that they were not going to be alone if they've also faced the same thing. Because I have my prominent platform. I have, you know, a certain name currency. And even I'm still facing this. So I was hoping somebody else is like, wow, so it's not just me. Now, the worst case scenario was if I did it and I stopped getting booked to speak. And that's a big piece of my business model, right? And what would happen if that happened? Okay, my business would take a revenue hit. I might not be able to afford payroll as much as I think I would. I might have to lay off a couple couple of people. But if I stop getting speaking engagements, I guess I could go back to my digital strategy life. Like my background is in marketing and communications. Before I became a public speaker, I was a person helping people figure out how to use social media to further their missions. So my worst case scenario was that I would take a hit on the speaker side, but I still had my other skills. So I weighed those two options and I said, you know what? The worst case scenario is still not big enough of what could happen if the best case scenario happens. So I spoke up about it. And one thing that I learned after that is that oftentimes the fear, the thing that we're afraid of happening doesn't happen. That year actually ended up being, to date at that point, my biggest speaking year. That year is the year that I did my TED Talk and I was invited to do this TED Talk that now has over 5 million views. 5.6. And, rem- <laughs> and it really, really taught me. It was like a real lesson in do not build up dragons in your head of scenarios. Don't build up monsters of things that can happen. And then you make it stop you from doing what you're supposed to do, saying what you're supposed to say. We are often opting out of the best case scenario because we're afraid of the worst case scenario that never comes. And that that whole situation was a perfect lesson in that. Had I opted out, first of all, I wouldn't have a piece written in Forbes about the fact that pay inequality happens in tech. I wouldn't have people publicly be like, I too have actually had to deal with this. The conference had to answer for this gap that they had. And I wouldn't have the attention that it got me that allowed me to now pass this message on on a larger stage. The best case scenario was so much better. Wow. And you wouldn't have written that book, perhaps? You wouldn't be talking to me. What would I be doing right now? I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. Changing people's lives. Imagine (laughs) the domino effect of when we decide (laughs) to say something that matters. Like the domino effect, the butterfly effect, whatever people want to call it, it's huge. It's true. Do you think fear is only, when you're talking about being brave, like, is it only for sort of big societal change things? Or is it just something like, I'm scared of spiders? I think fear is in the tiny moments, right? It's in the small moments of, yes, I'm, I am petrified of spiders, by the way. Like okay. I hate them. Okay. I don't do, I don't do bugs. I don't do rodents. I instantly lose all, all form of courage. I lose it when I see a bug. But I think when we talk about fear, yeah, we think about the big moments of like, oh my God, jumping off, jumping out of a plane, right? No, no. I think our everyday lives present us with opportunities and things to be afraid of, things to be anxious about. And sometimes it's even as simple as a conversation that you're afraid to have with a friend, a friend who hurts your feelings, right? And you're just like, ah, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt her feelings if I bring this up. That is fear. Mm -hmm. So fear is in the small moments. But I find that when we don't know how to deal with it in the small moments, the big moments become a massive challenge. If we don't have the practice in the day-to-day personal life stuff of actually conquering our fear and speaking the truth and doing what feels tough, 
when we are called to do it in a larger space, in a bigger stage, we don't even know how to do it because we're just like, we had never built up the muscle for it. So my thing is, honestly, every day presents us moments and, and choices and chances to pick courage. It means, you know, if you're in a meeting and you just like, I don't like that idea that somebody just gave, it's not thoughtful. Pushing through the fear of rocking the boat and saying, hey, I think we should rethink this idea because here's why. You know, it's in the times when you're like, hmm, I think I deserve a raise. And you're afraid to ask your boss because you're afraid of the no that may come. And I'm like, if the no is the worst case scenario, but the best case scenario is that you might get this raise that could fix your financial life, the no will not kill you. Go for it. So again, I think for those of us who are very practical and pragmatic people, I'm always like, try to find the logic in it. Find the logic in it. If it's what is really the thing that you're afraid of and is it really so bad, even if that thing was to happen. Is it really so bad? Is it disastrous to your life? Is it life-alteringly damaging? If it's most things are not, most things are just we're afraid of no. Mm-hmm. So do it. Because what if you got the yes? I love that. I loved your chapter about firing yourself as your boss because yes. I kind of do this podcast and do all these things, and I, you know, I try to do a lot of it myself and I offload some, but I have a really hard time with that. And I read your chapter and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is like me. She's talking to me. And yet you talk about, it's so important to do that because otherwise you burn out and blah, blah, blah. So just give me your like rundown of this, just to remind me. And you said at the end that like, you need to reread your chapter on this yourself. So I'll give you (laughs) an opportunity here so we can Mm -hmm. both be reminded. Yes. I think it's really important to fire ourselves. We are so pressured to do and be everything for everybody. And it is not possible. And then we drop balls and then we get guilty about dropping a ball. And then we end up in this cycle of, "Ah, I should have done it better. We only have 24 hours in our day. Eight of those hours we're supposed to be sleeping. That leaves us 16 hours to do everything else. We're sisters, wives, mothers, friends, aunts, And then we're also trying to be CEOs, you know, VPs, all of this, all of these titles are competing for our time, all these things. And I'm always like, why do we constantly feel like we have to be good at everything? Nobody said we had to be good at everything. There's somebody else who is better at something than we are. Hand it over to them. As I've been running my own company for the last 11 years, I've had to learn this in phases where I've had to increasingly let go of control. I've had to increasingly fire myself because I used to work for myself, with myself. I was my own assistant. I was my own accountant, my own attorney. It was just too much. And you get overwhelmed, you're drowning all the stuff. When I learned to fire myself, and it's a constant working process, like progress. I just fired myself today from my inbox. I had my assistant go in there and I said, can you just sweep through my inbox? Like, I don't have to see anything. You answer on my behalf. That's huge right? Because she just saved me how many hours in my day that I'd be like, oh my God, I have to reply to this thing. Firing ourselves is a trust exercise. It is a trust exercise because you are counting on somebody else to do this thing without your watch. You're counting on somebody else to hold the ball up in the air so it doesn't drop. But we can't afford not to do that. When we say, no, no, I just do it myself. How how long is your to-do list? And then you realize you never get to the bottom of it. If somebody else can show up and mark off three things on this to-do list, that's three things that you did not have to do yourself. So 
fire yourself as a life habit. I will outsource something very quickly. I started having a housekeeper come to my house because I was like, they spent three hours cleaning my house. If I had to spend three hours cleaning my own house, first of all, what other things could I be doing? Maybe I can get extra sleep, okay? Or maybe I can listen to music. Maybe I can spend time with those I love. So it's just a way for us to buy back our time. Time is finite. Buy some of it back by handing over responsibilities to other people and letting them do it for you. Wow. I love that. What a great approach to time management. (laughs) And even how you evaluate what to do and what not to do. And you have a whole section on like, well, maybe you're giving it to the wrong person and that's okay too. Because I think that's, that's easy to say like, hey, okay, I'm offloading everything. But what if people disappoint you? People will disappoint you. It's not even what if. They will. It is a requirement because everybody will not approach it in the same way you will. Everybody does not think like you do. And honestly, everybody does not have the same sense of urgency as you. They will disappoint you. What you do is figure out whether the disappointment is a lack of competence or whether it was just a pure mistake that they will fix next time. And I think we'll use the excuse of, ah, that one person disappointed me, so I took it back off their plate and now it's mine to own. That is how you set yourself up for further failure because that's exhausting to constantly be like, nope, nope, I'll take it back. I do myself. You will end up back in the loop, the guilt loop, the unproductivity loop, and the shame loop loop sometimes. And yeah, let people disappoint you. You'll be okay. You know, most mistakes are not disastrous also. Again, we really will take something and blow it up. Most mistakes can be fixed with a sorry. Oh, we'll make sure we get that done better next time. Yeah, most mistakes would not end up with you losing your business ultimately. So when we're like, oh, if I have to have somebody else do this for me, what if they mess it up? What if they do? Do you lose everything? Can this be rectified? Probably. Okay, let it go. Thank you. (laughs) I needed to hear that today, particularly. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Okay. Imposter syndrome. Can we talk about that too? You said you you said nine years it took you to admit you were a writer. Do you finally, you know, wear that mantle proudly and, you know, shout it from the rooftops? Can you? Yes. (laughs) I am a writer. For years, I did not think that title pertained to me because I felt like it was too big. I felt like it had a lot of expectations that I wasn't sure I could live up to. And then I also didn't see a writer that was making a great living doing what I did, which was just writing about the world as she saw it. You know, I wasn't writing for the New York Times. I was writing on my own website. So I fought that title for a long time just because I just attached so much to it. So many projections, so many expectations. And I didn't think I was, I didn't think I was ready for it, but I finally ran out of excuses. When I started finding myself in rooms with other people who use their words to move the world or journalists from BBC and Entertainment Weekly. And here I am as awesomely loving the same room. I finally was like, your words got you here. You are a writer. And again, back to the fear of it all, the thing that I was afraid of that was like, how do I make a real living as a writer? How do I, you know, chart a path that's solid as a writer? All those things got moved out the way. It was like all my questions got answered once I finally said, I'm a writer. It was like the universe was like, I've been waiting for you to claim this because I have things for you. I got columns in magazines. I got my book deal like three years later, my first book deal. And yeah, like 
I basically spent so much time not honoring my gifts because I was afraid of how big it could be. And it was another moment where I was like, my goodness, what happens when I actually don't let fear be the first factor in my decisions? What happens when I say, yes, I am afraid of that title. It does feel too big, but I'm still going to wear it. It's like a coat. It's like an oversized coat that somebody gives you when you're fine. You grow into it. But here's the thing, though. You think it's oversized, but it actually fits you perfectly. And yeah, I'm a writer. It's amazing. I love that. Wow. So Lovey, when you're not like off inspiring everybody, right? You have such a way of talking and inspiring and motivating and encouraging and all of this with the way you speak. Like, do you have just like normal conversations with friends or like, what, what is it when you're not, or is this like you're on, but then when you're off, you don't like, tell me about the difference between like when you're on stage Lovey and you're like in your pajamas, Lovey. There is no difference. I talk to my friends just like this. Me and my friends have conversations just like this. I just actually had a one of my really good friends, Unique Jones Gibson. Every time we talk to each other, we get off the phone like, man, you just got me together. Like, <laughs> these are the conversations that we have with each other about like vulnerability and fear. And, and like, we'll call each other in the moments when we are feeling afraid of something. Like, I just got this crazy offer. And we'll be like, okay, so why not you? Why would you not be the one that they're asking? Come on, you, you've been here before. We talk to each other like this because it's not like, we're like, I'm going to inspire people. No, it's like, I'm going to show up in a way that is as true to me as possible. These types of conversations aren't foreign to me because I have friends who actively push themselves and me to be bigger and better. Like my friends gas me up in ways where I'm like, if I am feeling somehow weak that day, or I'm like, ah, I don't have the power that I usually have. I know I can go to them to loan me courage. They will be like, absolutely. You got this. Stop playing. You got this. And that's what I actually hope I serve to other people. There are a lot of people who will ask me and my friends, like, how did you guys build this squad that does this? And I was like, we just, this is who we are. So we attracted other people like that. And that's what I'm hoping I am. And that's what I'm hoping professional troublemaker is. I want that to be the book that you pick up in the moments when you're like, "Ah, I'm not so sure about this. I want this book to tell you, you got this. You got this. No, 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 no. Don't doubt it. I know you're afraid of it. That's fine. But I want you to push forward anyway. So yeah, I want this book to be the squad for other people who don't have it. And even for those of us who do have it to serve as an affirmation that you can pick up at any point, open any, any chapter, any page, and you'll find something that compels you to move and act different or act in a way that will lead you to higher ground. Wow. You're amazing. I wish I was on Thank your friend you. list <laughs> to get some of that regular dose of encouragement. That's amazing. So what do you have coming next? You, you have this book coming out. You must have like, you're going to like take over the world. What, what's, what's like your big dream? Do you have a big dream? Let me tell you, I have an audacious dream because of this book. Because I said in this book, I need everybody to dream audaciously. So I'm also dreaming audaciously here. I'm on a mission to empower a million people to conquer their fear. A million. Because what happens when a million people decide I'm going to do the things that feel hard that I'm compelled to do because I know I'm supposed to do it, even though they might be difficult. Like what happens, like imagine what would change if a million people asked for a raise when they weren't going to before. If a million people decided to have a tough conversation with a friend that could shift their relationship for the better. If a million people decided, you know what? I'm going to commit to constantly doing what scares me 
that I feel compelled to do. So that is my dream. Like I want by the end of this year for me to have gotten a million emails from people who are like, I read this book. It changed my life. Here's how. And Zibi, I'll tell you, I already got one. (laughs) I'm looking forward to your email, Zibi, but my editor was promoted to editorial director of Penguin and Viking Books after reading my book and asking her boss for a raise. And her assistant was also promoted to editor because she was promoted. And she was like, that's because of your book. I am looking forward to a million of those stories from people who read this book. So that's my mission. That's my big mission. Are you going to put it up somewhere? You need to keep like a list on your website. Like people we are, we're going to start tracking it. Oh, yeah, track. We're going to start tracking it. Yeah. 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 So we're going to, we're, I'm talking to my team now. Like, how do we track these stories? Yeah. How do we make sure people can, can like write us and tell us their fear fighter story? So we're going to be tracking it on the website. We will announce it on my newsletter and on my blog when it's ready. It's going to be ready before March 2nd. So if anybody's listening to this after March 2nd, just go to professionaltroublemakerbook.com. It'll have the information there, wherever we're going to send people to do this. But I, that is my, that is my audacious mission for myself and for everybody. Wow. You should take it even further because all those people who are going to get over their fears and do something, they all need to like write about it. So you're actually, you could create like a, a million essays or like a million books that come out of these a million changes, right? It could be a whole thing. Yes, you're inspired. not wrong. You need like you're a lovey, lovey inspired like little badge or something, right? Like, and then I don't know. There's, I think there's like more like direct things that can come out. You know? Yes, we can do this. And that, so I'm gonna think about that some more because I'm like, yeah, this. I am so committed to this. And I, when I said the million number, it scared me. I was instantly like, oh god, that's a huge number. And I'm like, you know what? Why not? The best case scenario is a million people actually ended up conquering their fears and doing amazing things in the world. The worst case scenario is there is no worst case scenario. <laughs> the worst case scenario is like zero pe- or like one person. And how great. And I already that? have one. And you already have one. I already have one. So done and done. Well, I read your book recently, but I'm going to do something I'm scared of because of it. So I'm going to add my story at some point. I'm just gearing up. Zibby, gearing I up. believe it. I'm going look- <laughs> to I'm going to be looking for your story. I'm going to be looking to find out what you did. Okay. Yes. All right. I have a lot to choose from. I'm I'm scared. <laughs> well, you know what? So this month we're actually we're actually doing the Fear Fighter Challenge to to like get us started. Mm-hmm. So if you go to fearfighterchallenge.com, you can sign up. You get a prompt every single day that will give you a call to action that's going to push you forward, right? Like, and I think the first day's prompt was write it down, write down this thing that you fear. So you can join the challenge now. Okay. And it's, it'll get you started. It'll get you kind of, okay, understanding the different things you can do to kind of get you closer and getting you some help on conquering this fear. So yeah, join the Fear Fighter Challenge. Love it. All right, lovey, I'm in. You've sold me. <laughs> I'm on board. Look, let's do it. Like I want to. I want a generation of professional troublemakers. Yes. Right. Oh. We are all existing, knowing that our jobs is to make this world better than we found it. If we actually all commit to that, it will be better because so many of us will be trying our best to make sure we're elevating rooms that we're in, that we're speaking thoughtful truths, and that we are modeling what it looks like to to be courageous. So do you have any advice? I could probably guess what some of it would be, but do you have any advice to aspiring authors? 
Mm, write. Start writing now. Authors are writers first. Before you can say you're an author, you have to say you're a writer. So start writing. Put your story on paper. And if you don't think your story is extraordinary, I need you to understand that most people who write stories aren't extraordinary people. They happen to just put their ordinary experiences on paper and somebody will connect to it. So write it down. Your story, your life is worth hearing about. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on Mom's Time to Read Books. Thank you for helping a million people, TBD people, whoever they are out there. They don't know. They don't know their lives about to change, but yes, you know, and that's pretty pretty amazing thing. Yes. So they'll pick up professional troublemaker, and the cool thing is, you get to know that you are actually joining hundreds of thousands of people at any given time in fighting your fear. You're not by yourself. And I invite people to to join my social platform, Love Nation, because in there every day people are cheering each other on and saying, here's what my fear is and here's what I did to conquer it. So just know you're not by yourself. I got you, right? I build the spaces and I write the books that I need. So in this journey of fear fighting, the million people don't have to do it by themselves either. Come into Love Nation, join the Fear Fighter Challenge, and let's Cheer you up. Like we are the gas up squad. We're the hype team. Wow. I am so impressed. I'm totally impressed. And I'm so glad I got to talk to you. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great day. You too. <laughs> All right. Bye, lovey. Bye. Thanks again to Wine, Women, and Words, the podcast, for sponsoring this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 